You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Today's reading comes from Titus 1, 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Um, Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity to um, gather in various ways um, to hear the preaching of your word. I thank you for scripture, God. I thank you that um, it is without error, that it's authoritative, God, that it is what is true. Um, Would you be with Rob today as he uh, preaches from it? Um, I pray that... um, you would humble our hearts to receive uh, to receive it, um, that we would uh, listen and hear. Um, would you convict us, encourage us, and um, ultimately redirect our eyes onto, onto you and your perfect truth? And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome uh, to Renaissance Church. For those of you who are new with us, my name is Rob, and I'm one of the elders on staff here at, at Renaissance. And on behalf of our team, on behalf of the staff, we are so glad that you are with us. Now, I would like to begin with a question today. What will make a church thrive? What will make a, a church flourish or be healthy? Now, if you were to Type that question into your Google machine. You might um, get some various responses. Get a building. Start live streaming. Start a blog or get yourself a coach. But if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, he would have a drastically different approach. He would say that godly churches need godly leaders. Godly churches require godly leaders. And this is why Paul is writing to Titus on the island of Crete. Titus must know that in order to establish healthy churches, he must establish healthy elders. Because deceivers and and liars, they, they were entering the church, confusing people, conflating the Christian gospel with the worldly good advice. This is the reason Paul writes to Titus, that if you want a healthy church, develop healthy elders. And these elders that you appoint, they must be some things, but not be perfect at all things. 
says, appoint elders who must be some things, but never perfect at all things. And Paul will tell Titus, the church, and by extension us today, how to do that. He'll tell Titus to develop first the plurality of elders. Second, he'll tell him to develop the public life of elders. And third, he'll tell him to develop the personal life of elders. So if you're with me, keep your Bibles open to Paul's letter to Titus. It's in the end of your Bible. And we'll begin in verse 5. Develop the plurality of elders. He says, this is why, that's the reason, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul had previously directed him to appoint elders in every town. For Paul, putting things in their proper place in order was to make sure that qualified men were in the right role. This is just any leader, but a plurality of elders. So you notice what he didn't say. He didn't say pick one senior pastor and put it in every town or in every church. He says elders, plural, a team. This was the apostles, Peter and and Paul's and the other apostles' paradigm in every church that they planted. We see this through the book of Acts. We even see this in established churches like the church in Philippi. Look at Philippians 1, verse 1. He says, To the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the one overseer? No, the overseers and deacons. Even deacon ministry is plural, a team of deacons. You see, when you see the term elder or shepherd or overseer in Scripture, it's all synonymous. It's all painting the picture of one office, the office of of an elder that oversees and that shepherds the people. Plurality for Paul is the norm. Team is the norm. Why? I think we see this existing in the Godhead. Our God is one, but he's also triune. There's unity in diversity of roles in the Godhead. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, equal in essence and divinity, but distinct in job description. We have plurality as image bearers. God made man in his image, but then he says it wasn't good for what? For man to be alone. To be an image bearer is to exist in plurality, to exist in community. This has been the case even after the fall. We see that God appointed one nation, Israel, not just one tribe, but 12 tribes. Even after Moses brought the people out from slavery, he gained wisdom from his father-in-law Jethro, not just to have one leader, so he burns out, but tens, fifties, hundreds, plurality of leaders. And even among the 12 tribes themselves, you see in the tribe of Levi, not a Levitical priest, but a Levitical priesthood. It's plural. And did even our Savior Jesus do everything on his own? No. Even in his perfect humanity, he called to himself 12 imperfect humans, disciples. And when Jesus sent them out, he never sent them out one by one. 
but two by two. And there wasn't just one apostle. It's a team of 12 apostles. Plurality, team, community is the norm because a team of elders will guard against Paul's main concern for this church. It'll guard against pride and insubordination because plurality requires mutual submission to one another, trust of one another, accountable to one another, ongoing development of one another. Healthy plurality guards against lies and deception and false teachings that can slip in because you have the perspective not just of one finite man, but the holistic perspective of godly elders. Just as the elders tell you, you are never meant to live the Christian life alone. God's elders were never meant to lead God's church alone. And this is not just for the health of the church. It's for the health and maturation of the church's elders. Because these aren't just ready-made men. These men must be developed. And now Paul will display to Titus, second point, to develop the public life of elders. Now, anyone in this room or watching out there enjoy smoked meat like brisket, ribs? Yes, there, there, is a, there is a vast difference between throwing a pork shorter into the oven at 500 degrees for an hour than putting it over some beautifully prepared hickory low and slow for eight plus hours. Right? There is a noticeable difference in this low and slow method, because there's a depth of flavor, there's robust juices running through, and there's a nuance of different textures. But what is the key ingredient to those two different methods? It's time. It's time. And in the same way, in order to develop the, the type of elders that Paul's discussing here, one of the best ingredients is time. Alongside God's word and his spirit, the best ingredient is time. When he writes to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy, he tells him, don't appoint someone who's a recent convert. Because these character traits take time. So let's take a look at these character traits. He says, for an overseer, remember that term is synonymous with elder and pastor in the New Testament, as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. See, all, all these character traits not only take time to develop in the life of these men, but it takes time for those to observe these men who are training them. I mean, with Pastor Daniel and Pastor Luke, we had to observe, observe their public life. Members of this church, I mean, as we consider other men who we might put forward, we ask you to pay attention right now. These are the type of men that we desire in the office of elder. Those of you who are considering going out with the, with the core team to plant a new church in the future, this is for you to pay attention to because this is describing what future elders must look like within a local church. And he says what first they must not be. Must not be a drunkard. Elders were constantly invited to dinner parties 
in the first century. Plenty of wine flowing. They can drink, but they could not get drunk. Also must not be tempted to be greedy for gain. I mean, does he just want the gig for the money? Because you know what came along with money? Status and influence. Greedy for gain means you're doing it for your own personal gain and not for the glory of God. He also says they're not to be arrogant, quick-tempered, or violent. So we have to ask, Titus has to ask, is, is he overbearing? Does he always think he's right? Or if somebody doesn't get his way, does he turn defensive? Does he bully you into their position? And when he doesn't get his way, does he throw a little pity party for himself? If so, not fit for God's house. There's many false teachers in Crete who live this way. You see down in verse 16 that they claim to know God but show no signs of godliness. They deny him with their works. See, in leadership, especially in God's church, character matters. Character matters. And one of the reasons why I love my fellow elders is because they hold me accountable to these such things. I mean, just at last week's elder meeting, we, we prayed through all these traits and we asked the Lord, where do you want me to grow? Where am I in temptation to not be above reproach? And we're not just asking this of ourselves, we're asking other elders to speak into our lives where we need to grow. Character matters. Paul just explained what elders must not be, but then he says what they ought to be, and the first thing he says is above reproach. He's not talking about perfection here. He's talking about unquestionable integrity. Do they have a pattern of this life, of Christ-likeness? But also men, verse 8, who are hospitable, they do not show partiality to certain people. That even enemies are welcomed at their dinner table. Hospitality means to be a lover of strangers. Why are elders to be this way? It's because they've experienced the grace-driven hospitality of Jesus Christ. That if it wasn't for Christ, they would still be strangers to God. Elders are also called to be self-controlled and disciplined. Listen, there, there are no shortage of calls, texts, emails, shoulds, coulds, and woulds on an elder's plate every day. Everything will seem urgent. But do they have self-control and discipline not to jump on everything at once? Do they know the difference between what is important versus not important? What is urgent versus not important? And then he says they must be lovers of good, holy, and upright. Simply stated, can you follow them because you see them following Jesus? Do their lives point to Jesus' life? Now, why do you suppose Paul listed out all of the character traits prior to the competency of teaching the Bible and sound doctrine? Why do you suppose? And I just, have you ever interacted with an arrogant teacher? 
before? Have you ever had to be around someone who was always looking over your shoulder when they were talking to you because they were showing partiality? They weren't hospitable towards you? Have you ever encountered someone that when you question their teaching, you're met with defensiveness and they are verbally violent and bullied you into their position? I think if any one of the elders in Renaissance are honest with themselves, um, we would have to say, yes, we have met that man before. And sadly, on some occasions, we've had to admit that it was us. But the beauty of a godly leader is not one who pretends that they have no flaws and have it all figured out. The beauty of a godly leader is one who points to the one who has it all figured out because an elder must be some things, but only Jesus is required to be all things for the church. You see, the foundation and bedrock of the Christian life, sound doctrine, is one that is continually turning towards Jesus and away from the world. Sound doctrine must first say that I am the chief of all sinners. Godless leaders say, I have no sin. I have nothing to repent of. But godly leaders, godly elders say, I'm the chief of all sinners who happens to be leading a bunch of sinners and we are all in need of Jesus's grace. We're all in need of the cross of Christ and God's mercy in our life. Paul knows that this type of sound doctrine will lead to sound devotion. They must match up. They just must not be able to teach the Bible, but live the Bible. Godly truth leads to godly lives. Alexander Strach, in his book, Biblical Eldership, says this, Elders cannot teach and defend the gospel if their lives discredit the gospel. cannot teach the gospel if their lives discredit the gospel. And teaching is a huge ministry of an elder, so much so that we do not need teachers who sound good. We need teachers who have sound doctrine. We don't just need teachers who have a bunch of Instagram followers. We need teachers who have real followers where they're saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. They must be able to refute errors and lies that creep in the church. This is a must for Paul. Must have a plurality of elders. And the public life of this elders, these elders must be developed. But also third point, Titus must develop the personal life of elders. I wonder, have you guys ever seen the movie Founders? It, it um, chronicles the life of Ray Kroc, who is the so-called founder of the McDonald's Corporation. See, in public, Ray seemed like this dream partner for the McDonald brothers. Left and right, this guy was killing it, setting up McDonald's across the country, generating revenue, franchising the company. But behind closed doors, he was a liar and he was a cheat not just to his business partners, 
but to his wife and to his kids. He had a bigger dream for the business than he had for his home. And I fear that this is sometimes true of pastors. See, elders cannot be so focused on the ministry of the church that they forget where ministry begins, the home. The best testing grounds for potential elders is not just in his public life, but in the personal life, in his competency and his character within his home. That's why Paul in Titus 1 verse 6 says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. These are the type of men he must get. Now, a quick word on qualified male eldership. First, Paul is clear, not only here, but elsewhere, that these must be men. But not every man is permitted to be an elder. It's qualified men. Qualified. Second, the hierarchy of roles in the church does not equate with value in a church. I mean, think about the Trinity again. There's distinction in roles, but they're equal in divinity. Think about image bearers again, men and women, different in roles in home and in the church, but they're equally image bearers. They equally fall short of the glory of God. They're equally in need of Jesus. And by faith in Christ, they're equally co-heirs in Christ and co-laborers in the gospel ministry that he's entrusted us with. Roles within the church do not equate with identity nor worth. Third, this is not the letter that goes into great detail of why women aren't permitted to teach or exercise authority, i.e. the office of the elder in the church. If you want to learn more about that, I encourage you to sit down in one sitting and read through Paul's first letter to Timothy. But I will tell you, we will get more into gender an age of men and women in chapter 2 in far more depth than we're doing now because chapter 2 is going to allow us to do that in this letter to Titus. But back to these men who must be one woman men. Elders must be committed to one woman. I just heard a horror story this last week of another pastor who committed adultery on his wife. Polygamy was prevalent in Greco-Roman culture. They have to be a one-woman man. And this applies to both married men and single men. Yes, single men can hold the office of the elder. If that wasn't the case, then Jesus couldn't be an elder in our church, and neither could the Apostle Paul. But are they have? Do they live the trajectory towards a one-woman lifestyle if Their aim is to get married. And if they have kids, is this man dignified, not just in public with his kids, but in his home? Does he flaunt the gentle, loving, affectionate uh, MO around everybody, but then in private he's overbearing, verbally, sometimes physically abusive, and he's the one who provokes his children to anger? And when it talks about children being believers here, the better translation is, are they faithful to their parents, right? Because as much as I would like to, I cannot 
make my child become a Christian? Is the culture of the home one of faithfulness and honoring one another? Because Paul says, if he's not able, he says this is another letter to Timothy, if he's not able to do this in his home, how will he be able to do this with the church? And the short answer is, he can't. He can't. Why does all this matter? Because as the elders go, so will the church. As the culture of the plurality of elders goes, so will the culture of the plurality of membership goes in the church. As the character and doctrine of the elders go, so will the character and doctrine of the church go. If you want a church that produces godliness, it must start with godly leaders. That's Paul's first instruction, to appoint these leaders. So the question is, who can we affirm for this office? Who can we place in this role? I mean, if I'm honest with myself, who actually measures up to this? If it's calling for perfection, no man measures up to this. But it's not. Remember, an elder must be some things, but never perfect. Paul isn't advocating perfection. And where are we getting this from? It's from this term, above reproach. Elsewhere in scripture, it's used to talk about our blamelessness before God because we are in Christ Jesus. And in this context, it's talking about integrity. Does he have a lifestyle where you see continual growth in Christ-likeness? Now, can we talk for a moment, brothers and sisters? I mean, can we be like a a real family right now, have real family talk? The, the, The same root problem in the church of Crete is the same root problem that creeps into the lives of our church. You want to know what that is? Lies. Lies. We believe lies just like they do. We are no different. Both members of Renaissance, elders of Renaissance, we believe lies about eldership and leadership that causes churches to fail instead of flourish. And so I have to ask these questions to to me as an existing elder, to Daniel and Luke as our newest elders, Ask these questions of you, members of Renaissance, and you who are part of the core team seeking to develop brand new elders. Ask these questions of yourself if you believe this about the role of an elder. Do you believe that role equates with value and identity? Because our only identity is in Christ, not in a job description. Do you value competency, skill, over Christ-like character? This is how you get ungodly men, and even worse, non-Christian men, into leadership in a church. They look like they have Christian skills, but they lack the spirit of Christ. Do you want more of a performance out of your elders, or would you rather 
have your elders preaching to you and resting on the finished performance of Jesus Christ. Do you ever believe that elders must only appear strong and never weak? That elders must only appear happy and never depressed? That elders are the ones who build the church and the members just get to consume? That elders must never be wrong and always agree with what you agree with? Do you ever believe that elders must have an opinion on everything that goes on socially, politically, relationally, and economically in the dilemmas that we see in our culture? Do you believe that elders must be everywhere for all people at all times? Do you believe that elders must fix everything in your life? Do you believe that elders must know everything about your life? The elders, Pastor Luke and Pastor Daniel, do you believe that elders, future elders must be this must be perfect in order for you to train them. Future men of this church who desire eldership, do you believe you have to be perfect? Members of this church, do you believe that your elders have to be perfect? Why do we tend to believe this? It's because we believe that elders must be perfect at all things. It's because we still believe that men build the church. And listen, when you believe this, you're living like you don't know God. Because if you knew God, you would not place these expectations on fallen men. You would put these expectations on him, on Christ, the resurrected one. Zach Eswine, who's writing to pastors He puts their hearts and minds at ease. He says, but you were never meant to repent because you don't know it all. You can't fix it all or be everywhere for all. You were meant to repent because you've tried. You see, great godly leaders, elders, repent of trying to be all these things. Great church members repent of expecting their pastors and, God forbid, their wives and their kids to be all these things. I've tried to be this. Let me tell you, it does not work. It does not work. It doesn't work. But you know what does? Being above reproach. You know what being approach means? Is admitting that I'm not perfect. And it leads me towards repenting of trying to be all, fix it all, and know it all. This is the first sign of a godly elder who has sound doctrine. They know that they're not perfect, but Christ is, and Christ covers all of their imperfections. They know that the beginning and the end of not just their ministry life, but their whole life is faith and repentance in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Elders must know this good news because the church must have access to this good news. That if the elders are motivated, driven, and affected by the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ, then it will result in a healthy church that is motivated, driven, and affected by the gospel of grace that says our elders aren't above all, but Christ is above all. That our elders are not everything, but Jesus is everything. We put some qualifications on elders, but the expectation to be God, Redeemer, Savior, Healer, 
comforter, provider, creator, and sustainer of all our lives goes on God in Christ alone, not on man, but on the creator of all men. And Jesus is the chief shepherd. That's the shepherd we need. We need all of our elders to be pointing to this chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. And he actually wants us to put those expectations on him. Jesus says, come and put those expectations on me. I am your God. I can heal. I can redeem. I can make all things new because Jesus is the only one who ever perfectly operated as part of a team. In the Trinity of Trinities, Jesus Christ carries out being a part of plurality when he submits to his Father by coming to this earth, by putting on flesh in perfect love, obedience, and submission. Jesus, as he followed the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, while here on earth, he was never quick to get angry. He wasn't a drunkard, but hung out with drunkards and sinners. Jesus was never arrogant or greedy for gain, but he modeled his life in humility, considering others' interests more important than his own. Jesus modeled holiness, discipline, and hospitality. He loved those who no one was willing to love me, you. He never traded revilement for revilement or blow for blow. And Jesus doesn't just want us to put these expectations on him. He wants us to place our sin upon him because only Jesus can take away our sin. No elder can take away our sin. Jesus is the one who laid his life down for the church. He's not just the chief shepherd, but he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, when we have been power hungry and strength hungry, Jesus humbled himself and was stripped of all power on the cross. Christ was never wrong, but he took on all of our wrongs. Christ who can fix it all was broken for all. And Christ who knows all, knows our deepest need better than you know it and than I know it. And that is to be reconciled to God. And he's done this. He offers this through forgiveness in his life, his death, and resurrection. This is where true, healthy, Elder development begins. It begins at the cross of Jesus. This is how churches flourish, is by focusing on the cross, but it doesn't end there. Yes, in his death, all of our sins were put to death, but in his resurrection, death was put to death so that we can live life abundantly, growing in godliness and Christ-likeness. And it won't be us who builds this church. But it'll be Christ alone and the message of his gospel that will never fail. And the gates of hell, even the lies that we sometimes believe from hell, will not prevail. But his gospel will. Church, do you know what this means? Pastor Luke and Pastor Daniel, do, do you know what this means for your ministry? Core team who's thinking about going out and planting a church? Your elders must be some things. But only Jesus is meant to be everything for your church. Church, do you know what this means? That the church will never be built on my personality or my preaching abilities. It'll never be built on Pastor Luke's or Pastor Daniel's or Pastor Kyle's or Pastor Andrew's preaching or personality. But it'll be built on who we preach, 
And that's Jesus and him crucified and resurrected and ascended. And he's coming back one day to make all things new. You know what this means, church? That there are some men listening right now who must be developed into this office. There's some men where God's going to gift us with them because he's put a desire in their soul to be an overseer, a shepherd of his church, to grow in these qualifications, to be on an elder team, men who will keep carrying the torch, not of Renaissance church, but of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May God grant to us more elders who take the focus off themselves and put it on Jesus. How will a church thrive? How will a church flourish? Set up elders who must be some things, but never all things. That's Jesus's job to be for the church and for the world. And may we, your elders, be consistently and constantly pointing to you, to this Jesus and to his gospel that's able to save sinners to the uttermost, like me and like you. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this passage. We praise you that in your infinite wisdom, you've sought to set up your church this way. 